Welcome to episode 19, my conversation with Callie Wright from Cincinnati, Ohio. This is the Straight Up Gay Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Major, and this is the Straight Up Gay Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to learning more about LGBTQ people by having personal conversations and sharing their experiences. This is Matt Ian Kelly of The Beginner's Guide to a 40-something Gay Man. Keep in mind, the Straight Up Gay Podcast is free of cursing, but we may have topics related to sex and gender that may result in awkward questions from young children. If you're not prepared to answer those questions, turn back now. Today is April 29th, and on the show, I have Callie Wright. Callie Wright is the host of the Gaytheist Manifesto podcast. I've actually been a host of Callie, or a host, I've been a fan of Callie's for um, a long time. I, I'm, as I've said before on the show, I am a huge fan of the Dogma Debate podcast. Uh, I've let everyone know that I'm an atheist, and that's one of the atheist podcasts that I've listened to. And I'm a super fan of that show, and I first heard of Callie um, and her activism and her podcast on the Dogma Debate show, and I've We've become friends on Facebook, and I've kind of kept track of what she was doing. And recently, she was looking to reach out and and explore other podcasts, and and you know be interviewed by other podcasters. And so I offered her to come on to the show, and she was uh, willing to come on the show and let me interview her. So, um, Callie, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to have you here. I am really a fan of yours. We have been fa- uh, friends on Facebook for oh about three or four months now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And so um, why don't you give us your bio uh, and just tell the audience, you know, who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do and, and tell us a little bit about yourself so everyone knows who you are and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So I host a podcast called The Gaytheist Manifesto. It's all about the intersection of uh, atheist and LGBT activism. So the idea is that the queer community and the trans community, there's still a lot of religiosity in there. And lots of the community support is faith-based and it's run by church groups and church organizations. And I don't want to, I don't want to hate on those groups because a lot of them do good work and, uh, and a lot of them save lives, but there, uh, there's, there's a lack of that sort of community for folks who are really uncomfortable in faith-based environments. And, and I was kind of surprised when I got into uh, LGBT activism, and I learned about this, and I, I've been an atheist since I was like sixteen or seventeen, and uh, and, and it just kind of made sense to me, both on that level and the level that you know the religious right is obviously the biggest barrier to equality and justice for our community. So it makes sense to talk about things from an atheist and a secular perspective because I think um, pushing for secular values and atheist values. Uh, I think those things are kind of by proxy LGBT activism, since when people when people try to curtail uh, or roll back the rights of queer or trans people, uh, typically they're leading with their Bibles. And the reason that those arguments have any weight at all is because they're religious arguments, right? We know that um, religiosity and Christianity specifically has privilege in society. So if if we say, I don't like this thing, people are like, okay, or whatever. And they're like, well, God doesn't like this thing. All of a sudden people listen. So the show is uh, is both about doing that kind of activism 
and and fighting those ideas and also just kind of putting a human face on the LGBT community. Um, my co-host Ari and I are very, very open about you know intimate details of our lives, things that we go through, the things that we experience, uh, problems we've had and uh, things that we've struggled with. And we have uh, other people on the show to tell those those same kinds of personal stories because I think uh, I think it's very easy to think of queer trans people as the other just because it's it's largely an experience that if you're not part of that community it's just not something you can understand so it's it's really easy to be like wow those people live lives that are just unrecognizable to me when in reality we definitely live our lives in the context of being queer or trans and it colors a lot of the way that we navigate the world and the things that we do. But that doesn't mean that our experiences in our lives in general are completely unrelatable to people. And, um, you know, I'm not a sociologist, but we do know that humans tend to care about things the closer they are to us. So, you know, the idea is to put a human face on things and say, no, these, these are not this, this, secret cabal of people in black robes off in the distance doing this thing that's this mystery you know it's these are are real people who are trying to build careers and build families and live in communities and just live a a fulfilling and, and joyous life just like anyone else is and uh and you know there are some unique obstacles for queer and trans people to that and i think highlighting those things is important but i also think that just sort of underscoring the idea in stories that like yes we are just people like anyone else believe it or not uh, i think that's a really important thing to do so i always try to 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 do that balance between uh you know putting the human face on and telling stories and doing the more sort of direct activism uh so i just i try to balance the two yeah, that's really good. I, I'm definitely become more aware of your activism since I've first heard of you. And now that we're friends on Facebook, I get to see some of the things you get involved in. I saw that you were you had done some of the marches. I think you went to one of the marches in D.C. just recently, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I went to the Women's March back in uh, January. Yeah, and in D.C. it was awesome. Yeah, I knew you went to a march. I couldn't recall if it was the Women's March or if it was another one, but I thought it was the Women's March. Yeah, it was great. I'm I'm very, very lucky in that you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not rich <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I have a, I have a middle-class job that pays my bills and leaves a little extra at the end of, at the end of the day. Uh, but, um, the, the Patreon for my show, uh, supports the other sort of activism that I do. It allows me to travel, uh, to, to conferences and to marches and rallies and stuff like that. And I always try to come back with content for folks to, to know what's going on, try and interview people and try and find the, I, I'm always into finding the stories that like you don't hear on CNN or like you don't hear on the mainstream news. Um, and, and I like doing that at conferences and rallies, both like I always just, uh, you know, whatever celebrities are there or whatever, like everybody's going to go after those folks. And what I would rather find is just someone who has a really compelling story that you might not hear from otherwise. And uh, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful that uh, that I'm capable of, of doing those things. And I always try to to you know, do the best that I can with that privilege. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's a good thing. And uh, so one of the things I've learned um, recently about my podcast here is um, I haven't been um, asking questions that don't relate to you as an LGBT person, meaning, you know, um, I would solely do you've gone through my pre-interview questionnaire and, and it's pretty much only asking questions about what defines you only through the lens of being an LGBT person. And I, that, you know, that, 
uh, idea or that um, understanding came to me recently in a, in a recent podcast. I had some guys from another podcast on the show where we talked about gaming and the LGBT community as far as how those two worlds intersect. And it occurred to me that I was simply I was simply asking questions that defined you only through the lens of being an LGBT person. And so I promised myself that I would ask questions about you that didn't solely have to do with you as an LGBT person. So please tell us some of your hobbies or anything that doesn't have to do with being an LGBT person or anything, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? What, you know, what do you do for fun? Do you like to read books, go to the beach? You know, what, as just a regular human being, what do you like to do? See, I feel like I'm so bad at this because I'm always the person that's like, like being trans is not the most interesting thing about me. It's not the most important thing about me. But like I spend almost all of my time outside my day job doing activism and podcasting surrounding LGBT stuff and atheism. So like that really consumes most of my life, to be honest. Um, I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I'm I'm a, I'm a big nerd when it comes to that kind of thing. I I really don't have time to check out newer stuff that's out there, and that really bums me out. But uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I really love the the uh, the reboot about Battlestar Galactica series. Um, so I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. I really enjoy tech. And I mean, I enjoy audio engineering and stuff like that. Like, I, I guess I could say that you know, aside from the podcasts that I do, podcasting is kind of a hobby because I love like talking to other podcasters and nerding out over gear and talking about the different ways that we do things. So I can maybe help people do what they do better and they can maybe help me do what I do better. Uh, that kind of stuff. Because I have a background in audio engineering. I went to school uh, for audio engineering in 2003, like right after I graduated high school. And uh, and I ran a recording studio for a little bit. I used to record bands all the time. So um, you know, podcasting is is a, a different world, but there are definitely some definitely some commonalities there. So I'm still kind of um, an amateur audio nerd. I'm not uh, an, an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I generally uh, know my stuff when I'm when I'm talking about this kind of stuff. So that's really fun for me. Uh, and, and then aside from that, uh, just spending as much time as I can with my fiance because uh, you know I mean I work a day job. I work 40 hours a week. Uh, sometimes I work overtime and then, uh, and then I come home and I do podcast stuff and uh, I'm very cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, sometimes that gets in the way of spending time with her and I always want to give her the time that she deserves. So I really enjoy just spending time with her and we just sit on the couch watching movies and TV shows and often watching Star Trek as well. <laughs> yeah. So we can, we can relate on a couple of things there because I also am a big Star Trek fan. I'm a huge TNG fan, you know, maybe, well, I don't want to say huge. I, I grew up watching the shows. My parents started me on Star Trek with the original series and then I, I wasn't a fan of that because when I was growing up, the original series, the effects were too hokey for me, you know, like it was a guy in a rubber lizard mask, you know, and it was just, it, I didn't believe it, you know, and so See, when I... that's my thing. It, it, can I ask how old you are? Uh, I'm 38. Okay. So we're, we're four years apart. Okay. Or no, I'm sorry. We're six years apart. God, I can't do math. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, I thought the exact same thing. And that's why like, I've watched through the entire original series because uh, it's important to know like the, the, the universe and, and the stuff that surrounds it. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard for me to get past how hokey things are. And, and, and of course, you know, like people who were born 10 or 15 years after Next Gen think the exact same thing about Next Gen, right? It's just because right. that was the time when we were kids. That was our first exposure. So that, that looks modern to us, even though it's unbelievably hokey by today's standards. I mean, you remember like 
the bad CGI, the crystalline entity. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's like some, some five-year-old kid made that in a 3D <laughs> program today. You know what I yeah. mean? But it was state of the art back then. Like that was the, the, it was, it's so funny. Like when I think about stuff like that, cause I want to share this stuff with like, I'm talking with younger people and they're, uh, and I feel like I'm already old enough to talk about talking with younger people and that yeah. kills me. As soon uh, as you, like, as soon as you say the words back in the day, you're an old person. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so like, I just think to myself, I'm like, God, like, yeah, this was like early mid nineties and they talked about LGBT stuff and they talked about women's rights and they talked about racism and all this stuff. And it was all couched in these metaphors because of the time, but it was, you know, it's social justice and it's equality and there's important messages. And then they watch it and they're like, yeah, but it looks terrible i can't watch this and i'm like (laughs) and i'm like like part of it's like well damn kids you know but like (laughs) but then i think to myself like i think the same thing about the original series so i can't like i can't be mad at that right yeah and so the other thing i can relate to is my wife she's about tomorrow she'll be 36 weeks pregnant and so we're expecting a baby very soon. And my wife Aww, is already, my, oh, thank you. And my wife has already warned me. She's like, you know, when the baby gets here, you're probably not going to be able to do your podcast. So you better be thinking about that. And she's been telling right. me like, you're not going to have time for that. And so I've been kind of like scouting out for maybe a, a guest host for a few weeks while I, uh, as soon as the baby's born that, you know, someone can carry on the show. So I don't have a big gap in episodes. Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I was, I was shocked when I figured out how much time doing a podcast actually consumes because I didn't put a ton of thought at first into like, okay, so we talk into microphones for like an hour and then I just like make it into an MP3 and post it on the internet. Right. Like that's, right. that's we'll easy. Like that doesn't take over, any time right? at all. Yeah. But then I go back and listen to it and I'm like, oh my God, I need to edit out all the ums and ahs. I need to edit out the <laughs> awkward pauses and all that kind of stuff. And like before I know it, I'm like, wow, this was an hour long conversation and it's taken me five hours to finish the episode. <laughs> that is and, the worst part. Um, I hate editing. See, and I, I must be a masochist because I actually enjoy it. Oh, man. Um, I, I kind of, well, in, in this this may sound really weird because I always hate sounding like I'm the person who's like, I'm an artiste. But like... <laughs> But I've I've really started to try to become more of a student of podcasting and like paying attention to the people who I really, really enjoy what they do. Not not just necessarily the people who are really successful, but the people that I feel do it really, really well. That their podcasts are very easy to listen to, very enjoyable. I, I find that they pay very close attention to those kinds of things. And I've really started to think of what I do more as art than I used to. I don't know if I would call myself an artist as a podcaster necessarily, but, but I mean, storytelling is an art in itself and that's kind of what I try to do. Uh, but I, I kind of see it, like, if we're going to think of podcasting as an art, I see editing as kind of my paintbrush. Like if you look at it and it's done right, you should never be able to tell there was a paintbrush there. Right. Right. Yeah. It's supposed to sound like that. It just came out like that. Exactly. And and I, I really enjoy the process of of you know, shaping things and sculpting things, not to change what was in the conversation, but to make what was in the conversation more clear and focused. Right. right. So um, so like a lot of times, you know, we'll have a guest and we'll come back to the same topic three or four times and end up saying the same thing over and over again. Right. That stalls the conversation, makes it less interesting to listen to. So it's like if I feel like they nailed it all in the first time, we can edit out the other three times they say the same thing. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff and, and i find like because i initially i would go through and i was like i'm just gonna listen through and i'm just gonna edit out all the awkward pauses and then i'm done 
And that made editing a lot easier. And it made it to where like, if I've got an hour long conversation, it takes me an hour and a half to two hours to edit the show. And that was, that was cool from a workload standpoint. And, and I don't, I don't think that I put out anything that I thought was bad in that process, but I don't, I definitely don't think that those interviews were as good as they could have been from a listener standpoint, like listening to and being able to follow the conversation and follow what's being talked about. And, uh, and I found myself paying a lot closer attention to that kind of stuff. And I'm way happier with the stuff that we're putting out now um, that, you know, we're doing the show in three segments, um, 15, 20 minutes each. And, uh, and sometimes those conversations go as long as a half hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and they end up getting cut down to that time because I'm, I'm kind of ruthless about editing and making sure that there's a coherent narrative and a coherent story because, let's face it, like when people listen to a podcast, oftentimes they are not like their attention is not 100% focused on what you're doing, right? People, they do it while they're right. at work, yeah. something like that. So I always try to make things very easy to follow. Well, like I, I don't want to compromise the quality of the content or the depth of the content, but I definitely want to make it easier to ingest, if that makes sense. So, um, so I've, I'm a lot happier with the way the show turns out now, even though now I'm spending, you know, depending on the depending on the segment probably two to four hours per segment uh editing the show uh instead of you know an hour and a half to two hours total for the entire show and uh and it's a lot more work but i'm a lot prouder of the product and uh and and frankly like the people who listen are worth it in my mind that's uh you know something that i've learned is like i always have to ask myself if like i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna go over this edit one more time just to make sure and it's gonna take me another half hour like the question is like do the people who listen to my podcast one and the people who give me money for my podcast two like are they worth it and the answer to that question is 100 percent always yes so um so i'm a lot happier with the way things go now i can't tell you how awful that sounds <laughs> i i hate editing it just takes <laughs> so much time i i enjoy the interview and i enjoy this part right here but going through my audio because I, I usually record somewhere around an hour to an hour and a half. I try to put out at least an hour show, you right. know, give, give or take a few minutes. I try not to go too far over or too far under going through the audio and cutting out all the ums or the, those sounds and all those. Oh, weird, yeah. It's, yeah. I hate it. It's, it's the worst part of my day. Well, it's not the worst <laughs> part of my day. Cause at least I get to put out a podcast, but, um, right. No, I, I know what you mean. I largely just try because I was, I'm a Toastmaster. Um, so I, I was a member of the Toastmasters International. And so I try to pay attention to not using ums and ahs and, and avoiding awkward sounds. Yeah. I try real hard and fail real hard. Oh, dude, <laughs> I fail that. so hard. And so, but the other thing is, is usually when you have a guest on, they're not familiar with public speaking at all. So they'll be right. like, uh, and, uh, and, uh, 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 so <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a well, lot and, of the, and this, th- this may be a thing only a fellow podcaster can appreciate, but normally when I'm going through a podcast interview and I'm zoomed in on the waveform that I'm looking at when I edit, I actually figure out what an um from a particular guest look like so I can actually anticipate it and cut it out before I go past yeah. it. Because I can just look at the waveform and see, okay, that's an um, that's going. I, I've, <laughs> got, like, I've gotten to that. You know, I use Audacity. I don't get, I don't yeah. get any, any kind of money for this yet. I, you know, I, I put the show out. It's completely free. I don't have any Patreon or anything like that. So I'm doing this all out of my own pocket. Right, uh, right. Um, so, but I use all the free tools like Audacity and I just kind of look at the waveform and, and I've done been able to do that too where I can see what an um looks like the hardest part though is when they are so close into a sense where they go and um I start doing in the um is like right there in the middle and you're just like oh I can't get it without it sounding like I've edited it 
Well, and, and for me, I actually had that exact same conundrum a lot of times. And what I thought about is the idea is that the interview is supposed to sound natural, right? Like it's supposed right. to sound like you're having a conversation. And if that person says, um, in conversation every once in a while, it should be in the interview every once in a while too. Right. So yeah. I've, I've kind of come to peace with that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> just I'm just like, about eh. things in that way. <laughs> I'm like one or two ums isn't that bad, you know? Right. Okay. So let's get on with the interview. Let's learn uh, a little bit more about you and, uh, uh, how you identify or, or uh, how you involve yourself in the LGBT world. So let, I always like to start from the beginning because this is a, a narrative about you as an LGBT person. And so I want to start from the beginning. And if you could tell us what was the first experience that you recall in which maybe at the time you didn't know what it was then, but you know now that, hey, this is when I first knew I was gay or trans or wherever you identify. I was in the lunchroom in fifth grade, and the kid that I normally shared lunch with was out that day. I think he was out sick. And so I was just kind of hanging out by myself eating my lunch because I didn't really like most of the kids in my class, uh, except for the one that, that I was friends with and sat with most of the time. So I was just kind of sitting there and stewing. And this is fifth grade. I, I was 10, I think. And so puberty and hormones and all those fun things were going on. And uh, it just felt different to me than all of the adults were talking about in the sex education classes that we had and, and, you know, how your body feels weird and how your body changes and those kinds of things. And I knew that what I was experiencing wasn't what they were talking about. And I was watching the girls walk by and I just thought to myself, whoa, I was supposed to be a girl. And it was one of those things where it was so entrenched in my mind. I like, I felt like I had to say the words out loud. Like it was that strong. And so like I turned away so nobody could see it and just mouth the words. I was supposed to be a girl. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time because obviously this was 20 years ago. And even though we had co-ed sex ed classes, uh, we, there's obviously no mention of people being gay or people being trans or anything like that. The cultural reference points were few and far between. Not nothing that you ever heard about on TV or the radio or anything like that. So I just I didn't I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was, and so I suppressed it. And I was like, I saw what happened when this boy said his favorite color was purple, and I see what happens to boys when they cry and that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, you step outside those gender roles, and it's just not a good situation. And so I kept it to myself and I didn't tell anybody, even though I, like, I felt very strongly that way. And I, and I did forever. And, um, there were times where I would go back and forth where, uh, it could be sort of on the back burner in my mind. It wasn't the thing that I was thinking about nonstop every day. Uh, and then there were times that it was the only thing that I could think about in that day. And eventually years and years later, when I was 28, those feelings came to the surface and they never went away. I wasn't able to push them back. I wasn't able to suppress them at all. And I realized if I don't do something about this, it's going to kill me. And so I finally just, I got the courage to put the word transgender into a search engine. And like, is this, is this who I am? Is this, is this what this is? And um, I did a lot of reading, a lot of research. I found support groups and everything like that. 
and uh, you know, finally confided in a friend like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I don't know what this means yet, but it's something that I feel like I have to explore. And she was very supportive, uh, came down, did a makeover and all that kind of stuff. And um, and eventually I just figured out like, yeah, this this is 100 percent who I am. This is not uh, it's not some fetish. It's not like just cross dressing. It's not a fad or a phase or anything like that. Like this is, this is an integral part of who I am as a human being and I have to, and I have to do something about it. And, uh, and that something was transitioning. So I started, you know, coming out to my friends and my family and, uh, I, I just I started with my closest friends and just sort of widened the circle from there. Uh, having conversation after conversation. And I sort of identified like, these are the group of people that I want to have face-to-face conversations with. These are the group of people that get a phone call. These are the group of people that get a Facebook message. And everybody finds out when I post about it on Facebook. Like that was kind of the hierarchy. And, uh, you know, every time I came out, like, I was very lucky in that my, uh, my friends and my family were very, very supportive. I, I received lots and lots of questions, but not really push back as far as like, I'm not okay with this or anything like that. And so, you know, every time I widened the circle a little bit, that burden grew a little lighter. And when I came out, it just, it, it nearly went away. And it was like, wow, all that's left now is to actually do it. Like everybody knows this is a thing. So now all that's left is to do it. And, uh, and I, I mean, I moved very, very fast. I, uh, I like to say that I didn't come out. I didn't come out of the closet. I came crashing out of the closet <laughs> um, because I, I literally I had a conversation with a friend on the phone, I believe, in May or June about just, you know, sort of struggling with these feelings. And I announced it to the world in the middle of August that same year. <laughs> and uh, and everyone was so amazing. I just immediately within like a week, I was like, OK, my name's Callie now. These are my pronouns now. Like this is a thing and this is what it's going to be. And uh and and like I said every single time I took a step that burden just got a just got a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter. And uh, and and that's sort of been my affirmation. It's like every time I take a, st- a step toward this I feel better. I'm more comfortable in my body. I'm more comfortable in my skin. I feel better about who I am. I'm lying less to other people about who I am. Uh and and so yeah, it's it's been a largely almost entirely positive experience for me. Yeah, that I, and I'm looking at your pre-interview form, and it seems like a, lo- a lot of your experiences are positive, which I think is a really good thing. I think the, you know, when I first started the show, I know you haven't listened to any of the episodes yet, and so um, just for your information, like I'm a straight cis man, you know, and I have a, a son who is gay, mm-hmm. and as a parent of an LGBT kid, I can understand that changes your world. Just being a parent of an LGBT kid changed my world and how I had to view, should I let his friends spend the night? Um, should I let him do this? You know, should he be dressing out in, you know, it just puts this whole new lens on how you parent things. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm doing it wrong. And, and even considering those things, maybe I should just not even worry about it and let him find his own way kind of thing. I don't know. You know, I've just been trying to find my own way. And, well, yeah, I, I think that's the thing, you know, and to say that my family was largely supportive, that doesn't mean there weren't hard conversations. There were definitely hard conversations. Uh, my mom in particular, I actually imagined that when I came out to my mom that she would have a lot of trouble with it initially and then eventually come around. But my mom was the person who told me growing up, whoever you turn out to be is okay. I just want you to be happy and I want you to be healthy and I don't want you to hurt people and like do drugs and break laws, you know, like those were, those were the very modest expectations that my mom set for me. And, and, and I believed her, 
when she said that, you know, whoever you turn out to be is okay. I didn't think she was just saying that. So I wasn't afraid like, oh my God, my mom's going to abandon me or anything like that. But, you know, there, there are layers, right? Because we get ourselves invested in who we think the people in our lives are. And, and I'm not a parent, so I, I definitely can't understand the level at which a parent gets invested in their child as one thing or another. But I know we all do that to an extent with our friends, our family members, our partners, our spouses, that kind of thing. So I can only imagine it's exponentially more so as a parent. So my mom, I was her son for 28 years. And not only that, my stepdad was not a good person since we're, since we're doing PG-13 here. My stepdad was not really a dad. And so I was kind of the dad of the family. So my mom had an emotional investment in me as that person, right? And so here I am telling her like, actually, I'm not that person. Uh, or I am this person, but it has this context that you never knew about before. And for her to make that shift of thinking of me as her daughter now, uh, it, it just, it upended everything that she had known about me my entire life. Uh, you know, she gave me my name. She you know gave me life and, and I'm being like, yeah, this entire thing is 100% different than you thought it was. But the, the thing that I appreciated about my mom is that she told me like, look, this is going to be hard for me. It's a hard adjustment. It's weird. Uh, and, and I understood that. Like, of course I understood that. But she said, uh, you know, I have some things to work through, but they're my things to work through. It's not your problem. And, and I appreciated that. And I told her, I was like, look, if, if we need to have hard conversations, like I would rather have those conversations than let things stew. And we did have those conversations. I mean, she would be crying, like, just make me understand this. Help me understand this. I don't understand this, you know? And I tried my best. And, and obviously there's a level at which if that's not your experience, you're not going to understand it fully. And, and I think coming to terms with that is an important thing. So, so, I mean, there were definitely hard conversations. I mean, I had a friend of mine tell me that initially he sort of felt like I had committed suicide and he was being forced to accept this person that kind of looked and sounded like his old friend, but wasn't really his old friend. And, and that was really hard, but I appreciated that he was honest with me about how he was feeling so we could have that conversation and so we could talk about it. And, uh, and, and eventually he came back and told me that he kind of felt like a jerk for feeling that way in the first place, but it's fear of the unknown, right? You don't know what this means. Is, is my friend of 10 years going to go on hormones and completely change their personality and not be the same person anymore? At that point, I didn't have an answer for that question. I couldn't tell him definitively like, no, that's not going to be a thing. I didn't know. So it was a valid fear. He was worried about losing this person that he had known and loved for years from his life. And so, yeah, so there were definitely difficult conversations, but it was all in the context of, I'm having a hard time with this. I want to not have a hard time with this. So can we talk about it kind of thing, which I think is, I think is the, the best way to, to spin that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it's a, a really powerful thing for your mom to even say like, hey, I'm going to have you know, uh, a hard time handling this and, and, and finding my way through it. But these are my struggles, not yours. I think that's a, an incredible burden to take off of your shoulders and make sure that, hey, this is my burden to carry. Let me work through these issues that you don't worry about it. I'll get there. Well, right. And the context for my coming out was uh, my mom and I had planned this trip. My mom's a Christmas fanatic. She loves Christmas. And there's a town called Santa Claus, Indiana. And it's a Christmas town. They have a Christmas theme park. They have shops all over the place. There's, it, it's, it's awesome. It's really cool if you're a Christmas fan. And so me, her, my brother and sister had all planned to go. And my mom was really, really excited. And my brother and sister both uh, had to cancel. So it was just my mom and I. And this was when these feelings were really stewing hard. And I was like, oh my God, 
It's going to be me and mom alone in the car for like three hours each direction. Now's the time. And so like we went, we had the day, it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. And then, and then on the way home, I was just like, yeah, so I got, I got a thing that I want to talk to you about. And I came out to her and, uh, she was adorable. She didn't know what the word transgender meant. She thought I was telling her I was bisexual. She, she basically, she was like, so are you telling me this now because you're involved with someone that you want me to meet? And I was just like, mom, do you, do you know what the word transgender means? And she's like, I guess not. Maybe we should start from the beginning. <laughs> right. Let's start with defining uh, our terms. Right. Exactly. The, the thing about that was, and, and like I said, you know, she was, she was very much like, uh, I'm really confused. I'm really surprised. I don't know what this means, but like, just know at the end of the day, I'm in your corner and I want to love and support you through whatever it is you're going through. And then two weeks later, her house was foreclosed on. <laughs> so it was like, I was just, you know, I, I told her this, then her house got foreclosed on because my stepdad decided to stop paying the mortgage. So she lost her house, had to move back in with my grandma, who she's never gotten along with well in the first place, feeling like a failure as a parent because she can't provide a place to live for her kids, feeling like a failure as an adult because at mid forties, she's having to move back in with her mother and just all of these things. And it's like, like, wow, like I feel, I feel kind of like a jerk for the timing of this. And obviously it's not my fault. I mean, I didn't know those things were going to happen, but like, I couldn't help but feeling a little, but feel a little guilty about like, wow, there's this whole extra thing. Thing that you got to deal with now mom you're welcome <laughs> yeah here's here's another burden on the camel's back kind of thing you know waiting for that the straw that broke it you know i get you i can understand where you're coming from yeah and the thing that made me feel better about it is once that situation was resolved and she, like she found a place of her own and everything like that like basically all of the tension lifted and like there's never even like since she got out of that situation she hasn't slipped up with name and pronouns even once uh, which I think is is amazing, given I mean, like I said, I was I was her son and a, a different name for 28 years, you know. Um, so so that a thing that you'll find interesting about trans people, a lot of trans people, anyways, I find that this is a common experience among trans people that I know, is that we pay way closer attention to social nuances than a lot of people do. Because we're trying to detect bias and we're trying to detect, you know, if we're not with family, if we're in public, we're trying to detect danger, right? So we're trying to figure out the words that people say, the things that they say, the, the things that they, they do, and the things that they don't say to try and read what's going to happen in the situation. So right? I can I can definitely identify with that. So because you haven't listened to the show, I know you're an atheist. We're fans. Or, or friends right. on Facebook. So I know that you're an atheist and I, and obviously with the Gatheist, um, manifesto podcast, you know, that's kind of like a central theme of what you talk about. And I, I may have had one other atheist guest on the show, but you're the first, you know, who is, as you know, outspoken about your, uh, atheism as, as I've had on the show, you know, by far. And usually other people they have identified as, as agnostic or anything like that. So I haven't really had anyone on the show who is really interested in the atheism activism as much as I am. One of the things I wanted to ask was, or I'm sorry, one of the things that I can identify with is listening for those social cues to find out when you think you can tell someone something. So for me, I'm not an out atheist. I am the, one of the reasons why I use a pseudonym on the show is because I'm an atheist and I wanted to be honest about my opinions and my thoughts and, and have honest conversations with people without revealing to the world of people who don't know that I'm an atheist sure, um, and outing myself that way. Um, I want to do it on my own terms and in my own way and maybe in individual and private conversations uh, or let it come up naturally and not someone stumble across my podcast and find out that, you know, I'm an atheist, you know, through some podcast show that I put out. 
So that's why I decided one of the reasons I've decided for many reasons, but one of the reasons why I decided to use a pseudonym instead of my real name. But I do the same thing when I talk to people. Um, usually it's about current events or politics. I can listen for those things that they say and it will inform me on whether or not they may share the same ideals that I share and that it might be okay to let this person know that I'm an atheist. And, and a lot of the times, you know, I can be pretty accurate and, and they'd be like, oh yeah, I don't really believe in God either. They may not say that they're an atheist, but they'll say that they don't really believe in or they're not religious or whatever. And so I can definitely understand from that aspect, you know, how you kind of pick up on what people say and what people don't say. Right. So that you can find out whether or not this situation you're involved in is safe to involve yourself in. Well, right. And I'll tell you what I picked up on that let me know that mom was good is for a while she played the name and pronoun avoidance game. She was conspicuously not using my name and conspicuously avoiding pronouns because she wanted to respect me. She didn't want to hurt me, but she was having a hard time, right? And I mean, it was almost immediately when she got her own place, she got out of the situation where she was living with my grandma. Hey, Callie, what's up? Or talking about me in the third person of my sister while I'm in the room or something like that and saying she and I was like, oh, wow, she's not doing the name and pronoun avoidance game. So like, that's, that's, that's a signal, right? And uh, when she bought me, she bought me women's gloves for Christmas, you know, just little things like that, that most of the time people don't give a second thought to like those things signal, uh, you know, where people are at. And, uh, and I'm always, I'm always kind of on the lookout for, for things like that. Cause, cause I mean, just as a student of humanity, like I try to know, like I try to read people's behavior and try and read people and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's also a safety thing in public when I'm talking to somebody I don't know. Uh, you know, you can you can pick up on those things and you try to sort of sort out like, is this person safe? Is this person dangerous? That kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a big thing. So one of the questions I want to ask because I don't usually get to ask this because most of my most of my guests are are some sort of spiritual person or or religious person. Um, but were you were your parents or was your upbringing were you involved in religion at all or had you been raised you know without religion in the home? I guess I guess what I'm getting at is did you ever have to come out as an atheist to your family or to close friends or anything like that as well? Not really. I grew up mildly religious. Like my mom had a Bible and she said she believed in God, but she never practiced religion of any kind. And uh, my grandma is a conservative Pentecostal Christian. That's really where my religious influence came from. And even though she's like an evangelical conservative Christian, she was never the kind to like mercilessly shove religion. Uh, but she would always say things like, well, you should be in church because you need to be ready because Jesus is coming, like that kind of stuff. And as a kid, for me, like I would go spend time with my grandma and going to church was a thing to do with grandma. So I did it. And, and I definitely believed in God and I believed in hell and I was scared of hell and that kind of stuff. But I definitely didn't have any sort of real understanding of what it meant because, I mean, I was 12 or 13 at the time, you know, and so, you know, ish, like I was a Christian, but um, I don't even remember how my mom found out I was an atheist because uh, I, like, I think it was just something casual in conversation. Like, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, that's not a thing. I, I did sort of come out to my grandma um, cause we hadn't talked for a while. Basically it was one of those things where like, I'm a teenager, grandma and I aren't spending as much time as we used to when I was a kid. So, you know, I went to her house, I hadn't seen her for a while. And so, because she's a good Christian, she was like, well, where do you stand with the Lord? And I was like, oh God, here we go. I was like, well, I, like, I'm not going to lie. 
Um, so I was like, I was just like, you know, I've, I've really been thinking about it and I just, I don't, I don't think any of it's true anymore. And, uh, and I was surprised, like I thought she was going to absolutely lose her mind, but she didn't uh, like, obviously she was scared because she thought like, here, my grandchild's going to hell because she very much believes in the version of hell where you're burning eternally in a lake of fire and that kind of stuff. And, um, and, you know, and we'd have conversations and debates and sometimes they'd even get heated, but it actually, uh, thankfully didn't change our relationship, me being an atheist and, and, uh, you know, we'd have arguments and debates and stuff like that. And then she'd cook me dinner and we'd watch TV. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, I was looking cause I'm, I'm curious. I've heard people say, um, I haven't had any, any of these interviews yet, but I have heard people in other conversations say that, you know, coming out gay was easier than telling my parents I was an atheist or coming out as a trans person to my parents was more difficult than, or was more difficult than being, you know, coming out as an atheist. So I was just curious if you had a, a, a comparison for which way, which one was coming out was more difficult. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely being trans because I, I don't, I, I never felt that pressure. I was never indoctrinated as a Christian. Like it wasn't a, a huge part of my identity. And I was so young. Um, like I said, I, I think I used the word atheist when I was 16 or 17, but I was like 14 or 15 when I kind of decided like, I don't, I don't really think this is a thing. And, uh, it, it wasn't like beat into my head as like everyone's Christian and it's a really, really big deal if you're not kind of thing. I just kind of assumed that everyone was Christian ish, you know? Um, and, and of, of course I had, you know, those ideas like, well, if you're an atheist, that means that you're immoral and a bad person and that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I was never like hardcore indoctrinated or brainwashed or anything like that. So, no, I, I I didn't have to have one of those sit down like, Mom, we need to talk or Grandma, we need to talk. You know, it was just one of those things that kind of came up. Uh, but being trans, definitely uh, that was that was a big deal. And uh, and actually, my grandma and I don't talk anymore uh, and neither do my aunt and I specifically for that reason. So actually, for my grandma, being an atheist didn't didn't even really change our relationship. And me being trans um, ended up being the thing that kind of pulled us apart. Wow. That's really terrible. Um, yeah, I just, I, I can identify with the LGBT community about being outed or coming out, you know, and how stressful that can be. And I don't want to make equal comparisons. I'm sure that, you know, there are aspects to it that are much more difficult than coming out as an atheist. Just, I know it's one of the things that I worry about, um, that someone's going to figure it out when I'm not wanting them to, you know, because I hold these ideas and, and political, you know, alignments, you know, I'm kind of a liberal, or I'm very liberal. And, you know, as an atheist, I try to, you know, when I see people making these religious posts, I have to bite my cheek on Facebook because I'm like, this person doesn't know I'm an atheist, so I can't say this thing. And because if I say this thing, then I may be crossing the line because when I first deconverted myself, you know, I, I had the same ideas, you know, I was, um, I, I wasn't indo indoctrinated or anything. But I had the same idea that, you know, atheists are bad people and, and they're just jerks and kind of, you know, so it had all the negative baggage with it. And so I was always, I don't think I ever really was a believer at all. I was just doing it because that's what people were supposed to do. And so when I finally admitted to myself that I was an atheist, it was a friend who, who also was an atheist that I found out, you know, he, he told me he was an atheist and I was like, oh, well, he's a nice guy and he's an atheist. And, you know, within a few weeks I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I'm an atheist too kind of thing. And I admitted it to myself and I immediately was like, okay, I hope no one finds out, you know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. And, and that's, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who live in more progressive circles that kind of take umbrage at the fact that people, that people find it difficult to come out as atheist at all. And they are, are offended even by the comparison. 
And like, I always tell those people, I'm like, you should hear some of the people that I hear at conferences, you know, and they're coming out stories and, uh, you know, the, the abuse that they suffer because they question God or the trauma that they suffered because of their exit from religion. The fact that they lost their entire family, their entire social structure, they lost jobs, that kind of stuff, you know? And I, I think it's very definitive that there are worse social consequences for being LGBTQ of any flavor, especially trans, especially if you're a trans person of color, uh, disabled and that kind of thing. But they don't have to be exactly the same thing for there to be a valid comparison. And and really, that's what most of my activism is centered around anyways. And, and, I, and I'll tell you the story of how that came to be was, so initially, when the podcast started, it was very much the idea of uh, you know, religion is against LGBT people, the religious right are against LGBT, LGBT people, and this podcast is going to be a podcast that yells about that and fights against that. And th- it was a very surface level kind of thing that those two pieces of activism went together. And then I saw a talk by uh, someone from Recovering from Religion about their hotline project. And, uh, you know, it's a place where people can call if they have questions about faith or struggling with their faith, they can call and they can ask questions in a safe place. And they had transcripts of some of these calls. And, you know, there was like a 14-year-old kid that got locked in his room for a week because his dad found his Richard Dawkins book. Oh, man. This woman who was terrified that her husband was going to take her kids and she was never going to see her kids again. You know, so it was like, I just, I was like, wow, this is is a deeper thing. And when I hear people's deconversion stories and the struggles that they went through, you know, people who were really indoctrinated and people whose entire identity was centered around their church and their religion and how difficult that is to come out of and how, you know, they got on their knees every night for hours, screaming and crying, praying for God to say something so they could, uh, so they could believe in God again. So they could feel like God was real because they did, because they wanted God to be real, uh, but nothing ever came of it. And what a struggle that was and, and what a, what an awful adjustment that was for people in their lives. I'm like, if you take take out the religious language and replace the LGBT language, a lot of those stories line up. And, and so that's part of the reason that I do the activism at the intersection that I do. Uh, it's not just because, you know, religion and LGBT people haven't generally gotten along. It's, it's that I think, you know, there are both stories of ending up not being what society wants you or expects you to be. And the degree to which you internalize that uh, is the degree to which it is difficult to realize that thing doesn't hold a truth for you anymore, and uh, yeah, and I think there's a lot of a lot of similarity and a very valid comparison between the two struggles, even though they're not exactly the same. Yeah, I I definitely agree that there is some comparisons, and I just I'd like to avoid making an equal comparison. You know, sort of like a uh, I don't want to be saying oh they're on the exact same level. You know, right? Yeah, anything. for sure. And I don't because and mainly because I don't want people to think you know oh I, you know this straight guy is trying to identify with me because you know he's straight and he you know for some other reason you know that I'm some sort of uh what was me kind of thing like I'm using your story right. to kind of show that I'm struggling as well and 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 I I just try to avoid those I don't want to make people feel like I'm trying to make my burden the same as theirs you know sure yeah well and, and and I think that's an important thing to do because part of what I always try to do is I just try to trigger empathy in people and uh, you know because I have heard people say things ridiculous like um, you know when I talk about you know, the way that people get treated for their gender identity or for being trans, you know, someone actually told me once like, yeah, I, I grew up in high school and I was fat and I got picked on. So I know exactly what you're going through. Right. And I'm like, like, come on, like, 
in in that in that moment it's hard to push back against that because you know fat people are treated terribly yeah. you know in in all of society and maybe even most especially in high school and and middle school and elementary school right so it's like i don't want to invalidate that person's experience because they probably had a terrible time but to pretend like you know exactly what i'm going through like come on but I, that's what i try to avoid i want to make i want to make it clear that you know hey i can understand where you're coming from but i i know it's completely different and that we've had our different experiences Right. But on the other side, I think it's also ridiculous to be like, well, no, there is no comparison. These are two utterly and completely different things. You couldn't ever possibly any understand anything at all about my life. And, and I'm like, for some people, that may be true. But the thing that really crystallized it for me, I was I think it was episode 17 on my show. I ended up Facebook friends with a guy who uh, just random Facebook ad had a lot of mutuals with like atheist podcasting circles and stuff. So I just figured like he's either a listener to the show or he saw that I had a lot of mutuals and just decided to add me or whatever. But the first post I saw from him was something saying that he, uh, he was made very uncomfortable by trans people. And I had this like three or four paragraph thing written out uh, of a response. And, and I was like, no, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I erased the entire thing. And I just said, why? And he was like, you know, I used to be a pretty bigoted jerk and maybe that's a part of myself I just haven't left behind as much as I thought I was. And I was like, wow, okay, I can work with this. Yeah, okay, that's cool. And so I went to tell him about my show and then I was like, wait a minute, we don't have a Trans 101 episode. So I can't just go say, oh, here's, you know, here's the basics. I mean, I had websites that I could send them to. Um, so I thought what would be cool for a Trans 101 episode is to have him come on the show and ask me all of his questions, right? Right. And so we're talking... And there was there was a moment of realization that like if I never do a podcast again the rest of my life I will remember this forever. And he's talking about so he's black, uh, he lives in New York, he takes the subway a lot, and he's like, wow, you know, that sounds a lot like when I'm on the subway and people are suspicious of me because they think I'm going to rob them, or when I go into a store and they think I'm going to steal something. And, and I, I did the exact same sort of equivocation. And I'm like, no, those aren't the exact same experience. So like, you know, you don't know specifically what it's like to be trans because of this. And I don't know specifically what it's like to be black because of this. But we both do know what it's like to be judged on this part of ourselves that really shouldn't have any bearing on the way that people think of us. And we know what it's like to have assumptions made about us for bad reasons. And he was like, Wow. And it was just like, I mean, the entire mood of the conversation changed when we had that realization. So, so again, for me, it, it's about triggering empathy. It's about those moments where people make that understanding, like, like you always sort of do with a caveat, like, no, this is obviously not the same thing, but you know what it's like to X. Like, even if you're a kid who just really liked Star Trek in high school and got picked on for that, like, you know what it's like to be treated badly because you're different. Even if it's not on the same level, there's, there's, there's a way that you can sort of connect with that experience. And yeah. so those are the things that I try to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. That's, that's a good explanation, uh, of what I was trying to get out. And, uh, you really hit the nail on the head with that explanation. And so we are going so far into the conversation we haven't barely even got halfway <laughs> halfway through so sorry i am so verbose it's like it's bad <laughs> it's it, no it's great i think it's really interesting and i love listening to the the explanations and, and the information that you have so it's totally fine as long as we're putting on an, an interesting show i'm i'm happy so it's just we're gonna have to cook through the rest <laughs> we're gonna have to cook through the rest of these questions so one of the things I always like to know about is, you know, if you could share an experience in which you experienced discrimination or even some hostility from people because you're a trans person. I want to make sure, you know, like you said, you're looking, I think this relates to kind of the 
the safety question, you know, you kind of look for the conversations and, and pick up on keywords to know whether or not it's safe. And I imagine that a lot of trans people have to worry about being assaulted or, or being harassed or bullied or whatever because they're trans. And so I imagine that one of those things you're looking for is to make sure that those kind of experiences don't happen. And, and, and for the most part, I hope that they don't, but I was hoping if you had any that you would be willing to share. Yeah, thankfully it has not gotten to that for me. I have been very, very fortunate. Uh, I've had rude things said to me. I've had rude comments made about me. Uh, I've had people visibly point and laugh at me and that kind of stuff. Uh, which I mean, that stuff hurts. It stings. I'm I'm a pretty sensitive person, and stuff like that gets to me. But thankfully, I've never had actual violence perpetrated against me. I've never been assaulted or anything like that. Um, I, I've definitely feared things like that. Uh, pretty much any time I go into like a rest station bath, uh, a rest stop bathroom when I'm traveling, uh, which like I mean, I travel a lot. And, you know, you go into a gas station bathroom or rest stop bathroom, you never know what you're going to get. And, uh, and and I've had people give me like suspicious and quizzical looks and that kind of thing. So it's always um, for me, it's it's always just the stress of worrying about those things, because those are very real fears. I mean, I um, I sat down one day and I thought real hard about it and I couldn't get past five trans people I know that haven't experienced some kind of physical violence because of who they are. Um, so, you know, it's not that the problem is overblown. I'm just extra lucky. So it's something that I always worry about when I'm in a new environment, uh, especially when I'm in a new environment, it's always kind of there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's it, luckily that, that sort of thing has been mostly theoretical for me at this point. Yeah. Well, and I definitely hope that that stays that way. I would never want anyone to have any sort of violence acted upon them simply because they're gay or trans or whatever. I, I'm thankful that you haven't had those experiences and I hope your good fortune continues. And I hope that through our podcast and through our conversation that we make some sort of small change in the world to help bring about, you know, a safer environment for LGBT people. I definitely hope that you never have to experience that. Well, thank you. Me too. And, and you know, that's what we're all trying to do. So, you know, ho hopefully, hopefully we can make a dent at least. So I asked the question, you know, to describe a time in which you received some much needed support or validation at the time it made a difference in your life. And I really meant that as, you know, did you, when you were struggling with your uh, gender identity and, and or being trans and, and trying to figure out where you fit in this world, you know, was there a teacher or a guidance counselor or a social worker or someone who really, or even a friend who really made a difference and said, you know, it's okay to be who you are kind of thing. Do you have any one of those experiences you'd like to share a really positive where this person really, you know, kind of gave you some important guidance that really, you know, changed your perspective or your, your idea of the world? My first support group meeting, I think, is probably the the biggest and most important one because, you know, at, at the point that I went to my first support group meeting, I had told literally one other person in the world about what I was going through. And and she was awesome. She was very affirming and very supportive. And that phone conversation would probably be one, too, because she lives like three hours away from where I live. And that so that phone conversation was very affirming. And, and she was just basically, well, what do I need to do to support you through this? Because when I when I say it you know i'm still very much in the mindset of like i'm a guy who wants to be a girl like that that sort of surface level crude way of describing being trans so i just thought this is all so weird and awkward and it's just weird and awkward you know and when she was like well that that's really unexpected and surprising but okay let's figure it out oh oh really we can do that okay cool and so she encouraged me to seek out a support group meeting and and i did and that was, you know, the first time anyone looked me in the eye straight to my face and said, who you are is valid and who you are is okay. 
And it, it sucks because that group of people I have had a very, very severe falling out with, uh, especially the person who gave me that first affirmation, because turns out they're all uber, uber privileged, conservative white women who have zero empathy for people who are who are less privileged. Uh, but I didn't know that at the time because ostensibly I was a middle class white person there uh, on the same level as them. So it took me a while to figure that out. But, you know, I, I went there and they asked me for my name and I gave them my male name and they were like, if that's what you want us to call you, that's totally fine. But if you have another name picked out, you'd like us to use this as a safe place for that, too. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is real. Like, this is a thing that can actually happen. And it was seeing other people who were living to varying degrees of happiness on the other side of the journey that I was just sort of starting. Uh, that was that was a big affirmation for me because part of what kept me in the closet for so long was the worry that I would never have a life worth living. I would never feel fulfilled. I would always feel like a, an imposter. I would always feel like some awkward, ugly dude in a dress, you know? And to see those people and to see where they were able to get, I was like, wow, this is a thing that I can actually do. This is a thing that can happen for me. And, uh, and, and I would say that's, that's one defining moment that probably sort of changed the entire course of my life from then on. Yeah. So I, I've interviewed two other trans women, both named Allison. And the, the one that I'm going to refer to is not my first episode. My first episode was really awful. I, I used a lot of wrong terminology and I knew better. It's just because it was my first interview. I was really like stumbling and, and fumbling really bad. And I, I confused gender and sexuality. And I, she corrected me on air and I was just like, Man, I really walked into it on that one. But, but the uh, my other guest, Allison, she was a mother of three. She's a trans woman in her 40s, I believe. And one of the things that she said was exactly what you said was when she first went to her first support group, she just kind of was there to listen, I think. And when people were getting up and talking about their trans experience, she would go, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. And I mean, those are exactly what she was saying on the show is that, you know, just being in that support group and hearing these other people say they feel the exact same way that she did. And it kind of gave her that validation that, you know, she was a big advocate of going to support groups. And, and I think that same experience is, is probably something that a lot of trans people could probably identify with is when you finally find that group of people who share the same experiences that you have and you can go, Oh yeah, me too. You know, I think that's a big part of finding your community as a trans person. Well, it's, it's validation because right. as much as we all want to pretend like we don't need validation, we do. We're social creatures. We crave the validation and the community of people around us. And the, the thing is most people don't realize they have a desperate need for it because most people get it in one form or another, whether it's validation from society that like, oh, you are the big, bad, strong, manly man that you think you are, you know, that kind of stuff. Trans people and plenty of other groups, but but trans people, you know, for the context of this conversation, don't receive that kind of validation about who they are. And so getting it is a really, really big freaking deal. Yeah, I definitely I can definitely understand that. And, uh, you know, it, it, that seems to be a reoccurring thing is is getting that validation makes all the difference. I think one of the other things I like to ask, you know, a question about the future and both what concerns you and what makes you hopeful. So starting with what what are your concerns as an LGBT person for the future? I mean, the current political climate, honestly, is the thing um, 
you know, there were a lot of a lot of bad bills, anti-LGBT bills that died over the last eight years under Obama. Like even, you know, conservative state legislatures, they ended up not passing because, you know, there was the calculation that the state will lose revenue. There's not popular support and that kind of stuff. And obviously those winds have shifted. And so, you know, even though, you know, the president isn't making laws and state legislatures and that kind of stuff, that, that effect trickles down. And anti-gay, anti-trans legislation is a big thing, especially where it involves kids in schools because kids are uniquely vulnerable. It's always that think of the children mindset, right? Right. And and those things worry me a lot, uh, you know, for, for I mean, for obviously being trans puts you in a slightly more more vulnerable position in society on its own. But trans people are also disproportionately affected by poverty and mental illness and those having those things together makes it even harder to get the medical, social, emotional, community support that people need. So it just it becomes this sort of downward spiral of awfulness where you fall through crack after crack after crack and you eventually have nothing. The the current political climate I think has made and will continue to make people even more vulnerable to that. So that's probably my number one thing. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, I always like to say that's enough of the doom and gloom. Let's talk about something more positive. And so tell me about something that gives you hope for the future as an LGBT person. What's that positive light off in the distance that you think if we can just get there, everything would be better? My email inbox. Um, Really? Just just your email inbox? Well, and, and let me expand on that. So I get a lot of emails from listeners who are queer or trans who uh, who say, you know, something you said on the show helped me. I feel validated about this. I had the same experience. I love that. That is the main reason why I do the show, I would say. But another reason why I do the show is to help allies be better allies and to inspire people to be allies. Well, dang, I really need to listen to your show then because yeah. I'm trying. Like, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've just ran into recently my first um, person who thinks that straight people or cis people shouldn't be involved in the LGBT movement as far as bringing about the normalization of it. And so I just recently had my first kind of like stay out of our conversation. This is for trans people kind of thing. And so, um, and it was probably my own fault. You know, I may maybe have asked a question or said something the wrong way. And so I'll take ownership of that, that I probably didn't approach the situation as best as I could. Um, so I definitely did need to start listening to your show because I definitely want to do everything I can to be the best ally I can. Yeah, I've I've got a spiel about that. I'll give to you in a minute. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I, I think about things like the email I got from someone who said, uh, I just got into law school and I haven't picked a specialty yet. And I listened to your show and now I'm going to be a civil rights lawyer. I, I think about things like that. And I think about the people who meet me at cons who say things like, you know, I have a sister that's trans and I feel I feel like I understand her a little better and we get along better after listening to your show. Uh, I had somebody approach me after, um, after a con once I, I'm, I'm not sure what, which, which con it was. So my fiance has social anxiety. So every time when we're in big crowds of people, sometimes we just need to go outside so she can decompress a little, which my, is fine. My not wife is the same way. My and, wife, my wife yeah. also has social anxiety. So I know where you're coming from. And yeah. And, and so we were just outside sitting on the curb, talking, hanging out and somebody came out and they were like, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, sure. What's up? And he basically was like, listen, I am a person who's pretty much at the apex of privilege. He's like, I'm not rich. That's about the only thing I don't have going for me. You know, white, cis, straight, middle class. And he's like, I am the definition of the kind of person who doesn't have a personal stake in this kind of activism. But 
I do this kind of activism because of your show. And so I hear things like that. And that's what gives me hope for the future. That's what gives me hope for people. Because I think if if we can work on humanizing ourselves, like it sucks that that's a thing we have to do, right? But like, let's just be real. I mean, what do we got to do to change minds and save lives? I'm, right, I'm, I'm willing to take on whatever that means. If it's being a firebrand and yelling in people's faces, let's get that done. If it means being a diplomat and holding people's hands, let's get that done. Obviously, it's a mixture of the two. But, but the point is, I, I, I want to make people care and I want to inspire people to care. And when people say things like that, that's what gives me hope. Because I think to myself, this is a thing that's possible to do. It can be done. Change can happen. Change can be made and change is being made. So, um, so yeah, if I had to pick one thing that gives me hope, it would be that. Okay. That's really good. Um, I think that's, you know, one of the things I want to do is be a good ally and, and I know I may make mistakes from time to time, use the wrong terms or ask the wrong question. Um, I think have known enough to not ask about what's in your pants. I am definitely, uh, at least aware enough to stay out of, you know, your private areas and, and hope and thankfully I haven't gone there and I can imagine how insulting that would be for a person to be asked that. And so I am fortunate enough to have known better to, than to do that. Well, see, and that's a unique position for me because I really just don't care. I will, I am about as open a book as they come. Obviously, I understand that not everyone is. So, I mean, we're doing a podcast talking about the experience of trans people. So, I don't think the question about, you know, body dysphoria and the ways that people change, uh, you know, fix that, I don't think that's an entirely inappropriate question to ask. I mean, straight up asking, like, hey, do you have a penis or a vagina? Like, that's probably not the way to go. That's, that's um, what I meant. I do ask, you know, yeah. I will from time to time ask, you know, hey, where are you at in your transition? Are you, are, right, have you yeah. had any surgeries or anything like that? I don't ask if you have a, a penis or a vagina. Yeah. Cause, cause as, as I'm sure you know, I have been very vocal about how excited I am about my science vagina that I'm getting in July. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, I contributed to you guys had like a, a, a you actually you did. I remember that. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I wasn't able to donate much, but I just tried to donate what I could because I was like, you know, anything I can do to help a friend who is is going to because I know those surgeries can be expensive. And I mean, like you said, I'm at the apex of privilege. I'm a white, cis, straight, middle class man. And, and so these are struggles that I'll never probably have to face. And, well, so, and that's the thing that I try to impress on people. And they're like, oh, I can't give much. I'm like, listen, so the money that we're trying to raise is not just for medical bills. I mean, we're going to have to be in San Francisco for a month. So we're going to have like regular bills to pay and we're going to have to eat too. So I'm like, if you donate 10 bucks, you bought us lunch for one day. That's a big deal. Like that's that counts. Like that's a thing that matters. You know what I mean? So so yeah, it's 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 all appreciated from the five dollar donations all the way up to the bigger donations. It's one hundred percent appreciated. Yeah, so and you. and definitely anyone you know. Do you guys still have? Is it you carrying that you're on right? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, let me find the URL. If you send me a link after the show, I'll put it up on the page so that if people want to go there and donate, um, I'll put it on my homepage. But um, I know that you guys are trying to raise money. You are going through your sexual reassignment surgery. Is that correct? Yes, July 24th. Yes, okay. Well, congratulations to you guys, and I hope it all goes well. Um, this Thank is, you very much. This is you and your fiancé, right, that are both doing it at the same time? Yes, mine's the 24th and hers is the 26th, so we're getting our vaginas together. It's the most adorable and disgustingly cute thing in the world, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's really kind of like a, a, a couple's thing, you know, like a couple's retreat, I bet. <laughs> Right, exactly. Except like, so like, I mean, we have to be in San Francisco five days before the surgery for like pre-op stuff. So we've got five days to like hang out in San Francisco. I mean, obviously we don't have a lot of money, so it's not like we're going to be running around doing a lot of tourist stuff, but we can at least like, hey, let's go walk along the pier and like see the sights and that kind of stuff. So like we will be able to have that little bit of a of a getaway. 
Um, and then the rest of it will just be like three weeks of us laying in bed in pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So go ahead and send me that link again and I'll put it on the, on my homepage and I'll share it out and see if we can, you know, help, help you guys make that transition easier. Um, but for right now, for anyone who's listening, you know, if either both of my guests, you know, if they want to reach out to you or both of my listeners, I mean, I always joke that I only have two listeners. <laughs> If you, if they wanted to reach out to you or if they wanted to find your podcast, if they wanted to know, you know, get in contact with you, friend you or whatever, how can people reach out and, and get in touch with you? Uh, on a personal level, Facebook is the best way. I'm pretty bad at Twitter. Uh, I'm just Callie Wright, C-A-L-L-I-E-W-R-I-G-H-T on uh, Facebook. I'll add anyone almost uh, that I have mutual friends with or who sends me a message first. I'm at Gatheus Cali on Twitter. If Twitter is your thing, like I said, I kind of suck at it. I'm, I don't tweet that often. But the podcast is the Gatheus Manifesto. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, pretty much any, anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, you can find the show. Oh, that's awesome. So um, I'm definitely going to have to start listening to your show because I, uh, I didn't really know you guys did uh, ally type stuff I, I i wasn't really familiar with what the format was but hearing what i heard tonight i'm definitely gonna have to start listening so i always like to share organizations and stuff you know i want to share with the audience about any lgbt support organizations and i've got a list on my homepage called the straight up gay links of organizations that guests on previous episodes have shared with me and so like just this last episode i talked to someone from Callan lord in new york city which is a community health center and they they speci they specialize in LGBT health and LGBT care, and they were just my previous episode. I haven't released it yet, um, but I put their links up there and other organizations. So, do you have any organizations that you really like to promote or share uh, so that I can put them on my website? There's two organizations. One is uh, Trans-Pacific. The other is not actually queer or Trans-Pacific, but they do really good work and they're inclusive. Uh, so the first is Trans Lifeline. It is a suicide and crisis hotline run by trans people, staffed by trans people for trans people. And they do amazing work. And uh, they're a pretty small operation. Uh, they're not, you know, one of those like million dollar government funded nonprofits. So th they do amazing work and super important work. So I think translifeline.org is the site. I uh, highly recommend checking them out. And the other nonprofit that I really, really like, they're called A Voice for the Innocent. And uh, they're not a specifically queer trans organization, but they are very inclusive. I actually used to be a member of the board and uh, my two best friends run the organization. But uh, they, they are a community of support for victims of sexual violence. Uh, they give people a safe place to tell stories and build community. And they, uh, they go out to concerts and music festivals and that kind of stuff and sort of spread the conversation and, and build awareness and community around uh, survivors of, uh, of sexual violence. So those are, those are my two, a voice for the innocent.org and translifeline.org. Okay. Well, that's really good. And as a matter of fact, uh, the trans lifeline is already one of the links that I have on there. So one of nice. my, one of my previous guests, I think was a trans woman and she mentioned it and it's already up there on, on the webpage. So, um, if you send me a link to the other one, I, I'm not familiar with it. And so instead of having to hunt around, if you send me a link, I'll put it on my website under the straight up gay links. And that way listeners can go there and, and find out more about it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, great. And so for everyone out there, just remember, we're starting to close out the show. And if you're ever interested in reaching out to me, you can always email me at major at straight up gay podcast dot com. Uh, I am also on Twitter at SUG podcast. We also have a Facebook page, which is uh, Facebook dot com slash straight up gay podcast. And all of the links, the best way to find anything about the show, if you want to listen on iTunes or on Google Play or on Stitcher, 
Um, all of those links are available on the homepage, but we are available in any of the major places where you hear you can listen to podcasts. So, you know, if you want to hear the show, if you want to share it with somebody, find the show on iTunes or Google Play and share it. Send a link to your friends and you can always also I host I don't host all the past episodes, but if you're on SoundCloud, I host two at a time because that's all the free space that I get. And uh, I host all the backlog on Pinecast. Um, if you want to hear the show and share with your friends, always go to the homepage and you can find whatever links you need to share uh, out there so that we can start to build an audience and really start making a difference. So, Callie, thank you for joining me tonight. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. I know that you worked all day today, and so uh, I appreciate the conversation, and, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Okay, and so this has been Episode 19. I will see you guys coming up on Episode 20. Thanks for being here. My mother knew I wasn't straight She didn't understand but she had so much to say She sat me on the couch Looked me straight in my face and said You'll burn in hell or probably die of age It's funny now but at 13 It was pain to be almost sure Of who you are and have it ripped away And I'm sorry if it's too real for some of you To fathom but hate for who you love Is not exactly what you'd imagine Uh and I guess it was disastrous Cause everything that happened afterwards was just madness Locked away for two years to keep me on the inside Because she'd rather see a part of me die than me thrive And it's tougher when it's something you can't deny And ignorance teaches us it's something that you decide You're driven by your choices, an optical illusion Here's to understanding that it's not always confusion And I can't change Suffer beneath every single hand that chooses Ignorance, fuck your religion Fuck constitutions, fuck superstitions There are no lakes of fire for here on earth And the only thing to do is put love first And so I stand for the boy who died by his hand To the sound of his father screaming woman loves man This is Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve And I stand for the girl with the cuts up her sleeve And a heart in her hand and that chip on her shoulder And I stand for it all until ignorance is over This is for you, for knowing who you are For never letting your magic outside of your heart Be you, be brave and understand that things do change I accept you for you when I don't understand And I love you for you Cause this is who I am yeah. I accepted you for you when I didn't understand And I love me for me Cause this is who I am
message to the people who just don't get it Love is love, there is no difference Not a medication to fix it, there is no prescription No rehab to visit, it is not an addiction It's love, and it's selfless It's yours and everybody else's so don't badger and abuse the solemnly defenseless See us as yourself, there's no equality and difference Until we all get it, we'll be drowning in the same blood Despite orientation, we all feel the same love We'll be drowning in the same blood Despite orientation, we all feel the same love able to speak who we believe we are or who we dream will become like drum beats forever changing their rhythm I am living today as someone I had not yet become yesterday and tonight I'll only borrow pieces of who I am today to carry with me to tomorrow no I'm not gay no I'm not straight and I sure as hell I'm not bisexual damn it I am whoever I am when I am it loving whoever you are when the stars shine and whoever you'll be when the sun rises so here's to being able here's to love Here's to loving just because. Here's to acceptance. Here's to never fearing the fear of rejection. Here's to love and never neglecting who it is you feel you are. Here's to bullies because beatings cannot last forever. Here's to the moment that you realize things do get better. Here's to the parents who will get it when it's too late. Here's to second chances. Here's to new fate. Here's to every single moment you've ever had to hide you. Here's to the single star shining bright inside you, asking you to guide you. Here's to who you'll be when you've figured it all out. Here's to momentary doubt. Here's to feeling, because we all feel it the same. Here is to the moment that things will change. Because we all feel love, we all feel it the same. Here's to love, here's to change.